Hey friends, welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm Angela Donatio, and each week I share compelling conversations with leading voices. They encourage us to ground our worth in the word instead of the narrative of the world. Together we'll make our lives matter no matter what. Here's this week's episode. The spiritual battle is real. You are not imagining it. And perhaps no one knows that better than today's guest, Susie Larson. She's a best-selling author, national speaker, and host of the popular radio show, Susie Larson Live. Today's episode is based on her new book, Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail and Will Help Us Overcome the Obstacles We Will Face in This Life. She shares her powerful story and encourages us to trust God for victory. Before we hear from Susie, I want to remind you that today's episode is sponsored by AGTS. Guys, I just finished my last assignment for my first two graduate courses in seminary. It's been such an amazing experience. And if you want to take your life and leadership to the next level, find out more at agts.edu. Here's Susie Larson. Well, welcome back, guys, to the Make Life Matter podcast. I have already been chatting with my guest today. So honored to sit down today with Susie Larson, and she's going to first share her story. Maybe you're familiar with it, or maybe you're not, and this might be the first time hearing it, but I'm telling you, it's going to impact your life in a profound way. I've heard her speak in person, of course, read her books, and so widely respected and loved across the body of Christ for the way that she is making her life matter for the kingdom. So Susie, welcome. I'm so honored to have you here with me. Well, Angela, you're a sister of my heart. It's an honor to spend time with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. We have mutual friends, but this is actually our first time to sit down and talk. I know just having the time before the podcast, before showtime was just uh, like nourishment to my soul. So it's so good to get to know you. I feel the same way. And, and I wanted, we were chatting about our kind of our health journeys prior, and I would love to just start with inviting you to just kind of let people know you've had a very specific and distinctive health journey, which has kind of framed out your life, especially in the last few years. So can you share, you know, invite us into that and also just tell us what the Lord has done through and because of all that you've been through, Susie. Mm. Well, I'd be honored to do that. So I have to go back even further to childhood because I grew up in a large family. I was number five of seven. I was part of a denomination. Our family was that I knew God was real, but I really didn't know Jesus was accessible. I mean, I mm-hmm. tangibly felt God's presence as a child, but I just, the gospel wasn't presented. There was, it wasn't a mainstream evangelical denomination, if you know what I mean, yes. but I was a people pleaser. And, uh, but there was a season where my mom had to get a job and she was just the best mom in the world, but to keep food on the table for seven kids kids. She had to get a job to help do that. Around that same time, my older brothers were hanging around with some creepy friends and a couple of significant traumas happened at that time for me. We lived in a two-story house. It was Grand Central Station of friends coming and going with all these kids and all their friends. And I was about nine years old or so. And I had come home from school and I'd seen my brother's friend's bikes out front. And I just wasn't in the mood to be around them or to be teased by them or whatever. So I thought, I'm going to go down in the laundry room. I'm going to get a change of clothes and go up in my room and read a book till my mom gets home. And I was literally, it was in the basement and I had my arms, my hands in the dryer and I hear the door shut behind me. And I turn around to see my brother's friends, no brother. So, I mean, again, it was a big house and people were coming and going. So, um, but it was several of their friends kind of glaring at me. And I actually don't remember how I went from my hands in the dryer to being pinned on the floor, but it happened in a matter of moments. And, you know, I won't go further into what happened there, but it was a sexual assault. And I was so confused about 
what had happened, if I had done something to cause it. I didn't tell anybody, but it opened up a canyon of insecurity and fear in me. And um, they, I, I just, it was, it, it just changed everything for me. And I, in my mind's eye prior to that, I really thought there were two kinds of girls. And I say that because there, we, our house backed up to a foster home where there were girls coming and going. And my dad used to always say, be kind to them, but don't do what they do. They've had a rough life. And that was just sort of his wisdom to us to, and, but these brothers and friends were kind of connecting with these girls, if you know what I mean. So in my mind, I just thought you were born one way or the other. So there was no judgment in my heart. I just thought that, you know, so when this happened, I was super confused about just, what had happened and what did that mean about who I am? And so I was about, I, about a year later, um, 10 years old, I was walking home from school and I saw those bikes out in front. And I remember saying out loud, just what shows you how confused my little brain was. But I said, I don't care if God made me this way, those boys will never touch me again. Wow. And so I was killing time and and kicking up dirt in the baseball field, crossing the field to get home. And a different group of boys were hanging out in a dugout. And all I heard kind of in my peripheral was get her. And they ran out of the dugout. They ran me down, knocked me to the ground and beat me real bad. And I know in my adult mind now they were high on something because they had this crazed look in their eyes and they laughed wildly as they kicked me and punched me and Mm. pulled fistfuls of hair out. And I just little four foot thing. And just to pummel a little girl like that, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was covering my face and screaming and crying, no, no, no. And they just laughed. And when they were done, I mean, I had scratches on my face and snarled hair and a, a you know, bruised, a bloody lip and my ribs hurt. And they kind of pushed off me and walked away laughing and like they just couldn't believe what they had just done and for sport. And I got up from that just so battered and so traumatized. Mm. And I heard in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. Mm. And at that moment, it's like, I already knew God was real. Well, then I knew the devil was real. And I will tell you, that's when the spirit of fear really, really grabbed hold of me. And uh, I felt that was true, that, that, you know, that enemy could get to me anytime, anywhere. And I lived with a lot, a lot of fear. I, it changed my whole approach to life. You know, I'm, mm. I didn't read the whole book, but in this book, it's called The Body Keeps Score by Dr. Vander Kolk. He says, after trauma, the world, the, the person who's been traumatized, they experience the world through a different nervous system. While everybody else is showing up and enjoying life and being in the moment, the traumatized person is constantly trying to suppress inner chaos. Yes. And, and I think you probably relate to that. And everybody has trauma of some kind, but when that happens and you're in those positions where people are just enjoying their life and you're trying to sort through all the stuff that's being triggered in you, that was really my life in so many ways. And mm. once I got into middle school, I was a decent athlete and uh, I could sing. And so I was a gymnast and I sang in the choir and I did a number of these things to kill time till my mom got home from work, but also to dig myself out of the identity hole that I believed myself to be in. I felt like I had a deep, dark secret that if people found out who I was or what I was, I would be exposed. And uh, I just lived with so much fear and insecurity. And what I often say when I'm speaking on this topic is the devil sees your potential long before you ever do. I mean, just go to your childhood in those first moments when you felt a fear or not enough or self-aware. He sees you way sooner than you see yourself. And I always say his threat to you is very connected to your threat to him. He sees the potential threat. He's trying to preempt it. 
And um, so I, I don't have a lot of time to get into this today, but I came to Christ through a really sweet time uh, when I was about eighth or ninth grade. And then I learned about a Bible study in the next community. And because of my particular denomination, I wasn't supposed to travel outside the denomination. So I went to this Bible study and I lied about it. I've come home mm. glowing. I'm like, mom, the library was so great. And I'm like, the whole family needs the library, you know, and I, I could not get enough of this Bible study teacher. He just brought the scriptures to life. And that is when I fell in love with Jesus. I mean, I really understood the need for a, a savior because I felt the worst, like I was the worst sinner of all. But mm-hmm. I would tell you, um, I think I went into my young adulthood knowing I was saved, but I didn't know I was loved. And I think there's a lot of Christians even now who are serving in staff positions um, at churches who know they're saved, but may not know they're loved. And the love changes everything. I mean, it's it's not that we loved God. It's that he loved us. Um, when you jump ahead, I met my husband in my young 20s. We were going to wait five years to have kids. Got pregnant on our honeymoon by a surprise, but through the pregnancy found out I had severe endometriosis and they said, you will need a hysterectomy in your 20s. So have your kids now or never. So we had them in a row and our our second one was a high risk pregnancy, cervix sewn shut in bed for three months. When I delivered him, I had a doctor um, that the, um, that the nurses nicknamed Dr. Butcher because he hated women. And when the, when the husband was out of the room, he would do terrible things to the woman and, and, um, so that happened. I, I had him deliver uh, oh. my middle son and it was a traumatic birth and he was evil and he ended up eventually losing his license wow. uh, because he was so bad. Um, mm-hmm. So then with my third pregnancy, um, I had uh, was sewn shut, my cervix sewn shut at three months. So I had to go to bed for six months and I had a one and a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. And here again, now, if you can imagine when I became a Christian, I just transferred all of my high achieving that I did in junior high and high school into church. I was on five committees and volunteering yeah. here and I was super Christian. I loved it because it was a whole new world for me. Mm-hmm. But again, I didn't know I was loved. So I was just constantly trying to, you know, maybe I'll dig myself out of a hole or pay a debt that I couldn't pay. Mm-hmm. But when I was put in bed rest, there's no debt that I could pay. I was, I was the debt, you know, I was costing everybody in six months on bed rest. You really do use up all your friend favors. And (laughs) my friends were getting tired of me and I was getting tired of me and it was confronting all my insecurities. And I, I will say God used that time to cultivate an intimacy with, even though it was really, really painful for me because it was confronting so many of the things in me that were still unhealed and undealt with. Um, But I was probably three months into that pregnancy. So I had three months to go, six months along. And my little boys, you know, their different friends would come to watch them and they're crying, going, I don't want to leave you, mommy. And I mean, like five more months till mommy can make your sandwiches, four more months till mommy can take you to the park. It just seemed like an eternity. So when I was on in bed for three months, six months along, the doctor's like, let's get you up. Let's just see if you can handle this and see if you don't contract. And I met my, a couple of my old college roommates. Uh, it was a fall day. We went for lunch. I was very, very careful. Mm-hmm. But I started to contract at night, so I had to go back to bed. And two weeks from that outing, my face started to go numb. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started to feel a buzzing, pulsating feeling at the base of my skull. And it crawled around. And I started to feel like just a pulsating blood sucker on my whole face, just a buzzing, numbing, mm-hmm. pulsating feeling on my face. And then my my short-term memory started to go kind of and uh, dizziness and fatigue. And I'm like, I've got three months of this left. And I could not believe, I mean, already the heavens seemed silent during that time. I was new enough in my faith that I didn't know God was preparing me for something. Mm. I just thought he lost my address. You know, I just thought he forgot where I lived because my friends were living their best life. They had health, they had money. I had neither. 
And it seemed like anything I prayed for, I got the opposite. So this was a truly dry and weary land where there was no water. So all of a sudden to have three more months to go overlapping with neurological fireworks going off in my body, I almost could not comprehend it. I'm like, I have to try to keep this baby in the womb. It's like I had to be so careful with the bed rest. And yet I'm facing a possible neurological disease, you know, as young as I am after this pregnancy. Yes. And one of my friends who was getting really sick of me and she, she really was getting impatient with me. She admitted later she overstayed her grace. She was helping, but getting mad about it. Mm -hmm. And so when she heard about the symptoms, she's like, now this, and she said, you know, I hear it's personalities like you that most often get MS. And, uh, she said that and left. And I tell you, fear for me went to a whole new yeah, level. Yeah. And uh, long story short, um, I find out a year later that I was unknowingly bit by the deer tick and contracted Lyme disease. Mm. Now, I'll tell you one of the miracles in that story is uh, when my little baby that I was pregnant with was four weeks old, he ended up in the hospital with double pneumonia. And I hadn't slept because of newborns and my middle one had some respiratory stuff. So, I mean, I was sleeping two hours a night. So I was already, my body was just so out of, out of whack and these symptoms. So I was so exhausted by the time we got him to the hospital, but I remember sitting by his little crib and he was had tubes all over and he had double pneumonia and um, my hubby went to call people. And all of a sudden I was overcome by joy mm-hmm. and he was just four weeks old and he's so sick and I'm exhausted. I still don't know what's wrong with my body. I didn't know what I, that I'd had Lyme mm-hmm. at that point. And okay. they ruled out a brain tumor and MS, but they're like, we don't know because this was 30 years ago. And, uh, but this joy just overcame me and I wrote it down like, I don't know what this is, but I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Well, you jump ahead a year later when they diagnosed Lyme and they sent a home health care nurse out to fill my fridge with IV bags. Jordan is a year old and he zips out into the living room like little Speedy Gonzalez. He's running around and she's like, what is he doing alive? I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, I've taken care of two other pregnant women who were bit, we detect, you know, around the same time you were because of when the symptoms manifested. So around six months, they went a year undiagnosed, much like you did. Both of those babies went blind and died. Oh, Why is he still alive? She said, was he ever sick? And I said, yeah. And she said, with what? And I said, double pneumonia. What'd they use for IV? Well, it turns out that the medicine that they were using and the joy God was infusing me with, he was healing him before I even knew oh, what was wrong with me. Wow. And I, my knees literally buckled from underneath me. And I just right in front of, I went to my knees and I wept and said, Oh God, Oh God. Yeah. You know? And uh, so that with those, those were a number of years of just army crawling through those um, years of having three little boys. I really couldn't ask people for help much more after that. Cause yeah. I'd already used up, but it was in those places where I just was like, I pray that God, you know, lets me live long enough to see my boys grow up, but I lost all vision or passion because I just was trying to get through the day. Mm-hmm. And in that time, a woman from my church called and she said, I've heard the chatter about you. And I knew there was chatter about me because, you know, when you go through a long-term crisis, people fall into two camps. One, they either step back and judge or they draw near and serve. And I knew both were happening. And it was so painful for me because I wasn't making this up. I wasn't drumming up symptoms to sure. get attention, you know? And, uh, but she said, I've heard the chatter and I brought your case before the Lord, um, to see what, what is he up to with his family? And she said, Susie Larson, you listen to me. The Lord showed me a platform that he's building with your pain that you're going to speak from someday. So lean in and learn everything you can, because you're going to have a story to tell. Wow. And I just knew that was true. All of a sudden I had no ambition, no aspiration. I really seriously just thought, I hope God likes me enough to let me live to see my kids grow up. I I had no sense of his love, the foundation of faith. I just, I was saved, but I felt like I was hanging on by a fingernail. And when that happened right around that time, the Lord thundered in my heart and said, 
Are you a believer just because you've secured your eternity or do you actually believe this stuff? Do you believe these promises? When are you going to shift your weight onto the promises to see if they hold? Because as long as you're beholding fear, you're turning your back on faith. But if you turn your back on fear, you will behold faith. You will find that I'm faithful. And so after I got that call, every morning when I'd look in the mirror, the doctors told me, don't be surprised if you wake up someday and you have a paralyzed face because of all the neurologic stuff. So to be in your late twenties and young thirties every day, look up, is my face intact? Oh. That's what I would do every morning. Terrifying. But after that call, I put my hand on my numb face and say, and look in the mirror, you will not die, oh. but live and declare the works of the Lord. And I'd hold up my checkbook and say, my God will supply all my needs. Wow. And Angela, that just forged uh, a feisty faith where I, I didn't have the kind of support that, you know, that, you know, a lot of people have um, in that way. So I had to just sort of find my way, but it was good because I, I cultivated an intimacy with God and the Lord really did show me. I don't know if you've heard that um, analogy of when there's a wandering sheep and they get caught in a thicket and they break their leg. And then the shepherd puts the little sheep or a little lamb across his shoulders. And in, normally it's prone to wander, but because it heals on the, on the neck of its mm-hmm. shepherd, its little heart starts to beat in rhythm with the shepherd. And once it's healed, it's, it stays closer than the rest of the little lambs because it's, a, it's acquired such an intimacy. Well, there's more than one way to wander. You know, it's, I would have wandered in the, in the way of self-striving of trying to prove yes, myself of yes. being super Christian yes. prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I mean, yeah. when Paul talks about falling away from grace, he, he doesn't use that phrase the way modern people do when someone falls into sin, falling away to, from grace in, in the scripture is trying to construct a system by which you can earn your way to salvation, you know, and I probably could have been the chief of, of strivers if my legs wouldn't have been busted in that. And so I struggled for a while and I'm sorry, I'm making this so long, but for about, I would say, I don't know, 15 years or so I, I entered the fitness world and I taught fitness classes and I still had a numb face handful of times a year. I couldn't get out of bed for a few days, but then I'd get back up and it's what kept the fight in me. It was hard, but it was just what I needed to do to not think like a sick person. Mm. And then seven years ago, I had a massive relapse where I was getting ready to head to the radio station. My face went numb. My arms went numb. The room started to spin. And a lot of times when those things would happen, I would like, I got to back up, get some rest but this had been escalating and it culminated in the bathroom that day. And I'm like, Oh God, no. Oh God, no. And it was worse than any other surge I'd ever experienced. And uh, if you could peel back the sky, it felt like spiritual chaos. Like I, I was terrorized by these neurological symptoms and I felt like I was in a thunderstorm of them. And I'm like, God, God, please no, not at this age. This was only seven years ago. You know, please not. I've already been around this mountain Lord. And he said, uh, the storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. Mm. And I'm like, what? And he whispered it so clear. The storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. I'm like, well, what is the lie that I believe? And it thundered in my ear. The enemy said, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And I thought, I'm a seasoned Christian. I'm serious about following Jesus. I'm in the word every single day. And yet in that moment, I thought, I've been carrying around that lie embedded in my soul. And the Lord thundered. He said, Susie, it is not true that he can get to you anytime, anywhere. He says, I have had him on a leash. He says, you can't even know what I've prevented in your life. You can't even fathom how I've provided in your life. He has not had open access. I am not going to let you lose, but I have to let you fight. And that began a D-Day battle. Out of that battle came the book, Fully Alive, Learning to Flourish. Yes, yes. That That is really about inner healing of what happens in the soul, happens in the cells. Because I, I've i been pursuing God. I've been running hard after him all the while, trying to manage all these symptoms and stand in faith, but not realizing the deep physiological impact of fear 
of mm-hmm. shame, of insecurity. Like we have to be ruthless with those things because they impact us on a physiological level. Yes. And God just really started to show me, you're so fearfully, wonderfully made. I want to heal the whole you. And so that, that is really, that book was just sort of uh, birthed out of the ashes of that severe battle. And then strong in battle came kind of after that really so that we can understand the predictable schemes of the enemy, the way he comes at us. Mm -hmm. So we can be more acquainted with God's love and then be more skilled in battle. And just an update on the health thing. It's still hard. It's still a journey. I've got great doctors, you know, to be honest, just yesterday, I'm sitting in this spot for another interview and I cried. I I hadn't slept in a few days and Mm -hmm. uh, that caused a lot of numbing. And I just broke down and cried. And she goes, should we do this another day? And I'm like, that would probably be good. So I I am not skating through life. It's, you know, it is a battle. But man, I've come through so much. And I feel like I know God more than I've done before. No, than I knew him. I know his word. I understand the enemy's schemes. And I'm getting a new body someday. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, I believe I will see full healing in the land of the living. I feel like he's given me permission to believe that I will be symptom free. Mm-hmm. But at times it's been an army crawl but yeah. it's not been wasted on me. So sorry mm-hmm. that took me so long, but it's no, not a it's short so powerful. Story. Yeah. That I've heard that story, but it, I, it's still just absolutely riveting. There's so many things. There's so many different ways. I, I would love to just talk a, a couple minutes about some things you said. First, I saw this contrast between this woman who spoke borderline death over you with, Oh, people like you and such negativity and then the flip side of that, within just a couple minutes, you shared about a woman who, who said, I've, I've, I've been in prayer over you. I've yeah. heard the chatter. So speak to us about when we, because I've been on the side of the table that you're talking about. I've been on the, he makes me lie down flat on my back situation. I've shared my health journey here on the podcast for those of us going through situations, and we're going to talk about trauma in a minute and, and some of these themes of the book, Strong in Battle, but why is it so crucial that we step back and speak life? Talk to us about why we're still struggling to maybe offer this gift of, of our words in a way that heals and doesn't bring discouragement, because you can see from you saying that, you know, one brought more fear more intimidation, more negativity, did nothing to build up. And the other spoke life into you. I'm sure it's complicated because we're fragile people and and hurting people hurt and healed people heal. But help us to know how we can do this better to respond Mm -hmm. to people, especially when we see them going through traumatic situations or hardships, because you do write about that in Strong in Battle as well. Yeah, it's such a great question. You know, I, I believe so strongly it starts with dealing with your own soul, dealing with your own heart, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. In Psalm 23, he restores my soul. Mm -hmm. And if anything has come out of these last couple of years, this great shaking, I think it's showing us what's in us, showing what we've been sowing into our lives. And every day on my radio show, I ask my guest, the first question I always ask him is, what's the Lord been talking to you about these days? Is there a verse, a story from scripture? And it was a few years ago, one of my guests uh, quoted that verse from Proverbs where it talked about the words, uh, those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the words from your mouth bear fruit and those who love it will eat the fruit. And he said, that verse translates mouth to hand. And I said, what do you mean? He said, that's the original translation, mouth to hand, meaning that the things you most consistently say are the things you'll most consistently carry. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that is powerful. I don't think we know how much power is in our words, especially if we are in Christ as yes. new creations filled with the spirit, we have been given authority in 
and and we are to choose life, to speak life. And I, one thing, Angela, I'll tell you that God's been showing me is some of the phrases that I've said um, innocently that have really been a detriment to my health. Like I have really, really loud ringing in my ears. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to my hubby, we were praying. I'm like, oh, I love that verse. It just rings in my ears. <laughs> and I'm like, what did I just say? But, and I don't want to be a legalist about this, but I am saying our words are seeds. And I think the reason we are not calling out life and calling out courage is because we haven't dealt with jealousy, insecurity. But if we are operating out of fullness, we can be in a not yet while we're celebrating your breakthrough. That's you know, right. we, That's we can right. be in that not yet moment to go, when I see what the story God's writing, I'm going to love my story and we are better together. And I'm to be a prophetic gift to the body of Christ. If we could see that. And also there's an account one day, there's going to be an account. We're going to face God one day. And uh, I think it's just so important for us to live as ones who are spoken for. So to me, it goes all the way back to dealing with your soul. And uh, when stuff comes up, when you get triggered, don't shove it down into the basement. Don't numb out and don't point at someone else's wart, you know, go to God and say, search me show me. And, uh, and one of the things I talk about in strong in battle is that my first line of defense, whenever I'm under fire, whenever I'm feeling attacked by the enemy is to say, search me and know me, show me my heart. Mm-hmm. And this isn't to say every battle you go through is your fault, but it is to say the enemy is such a legalist that he, if he finds legal access, he's going to take it. Oh, and true. oftentimes when you hear James four, seven quoted, you hear people say, Hey, if the enemy's messing with you, just resist him. But that's not accurate. It's submit to God resist the devil and he will flee and submit to God is a military term. And it means get back in rank. So in other words, you get out of rank. The enemy has access to you. Watchman Nee once said, you can't have authority unless you're under authority. Well, believers are getting out of rank all the time, picking their pastors apart, gossiping, being jealous, you know, praising God with on Sunday and then picking apart the pastor on Monday. And there's a multitude of ways for you to get out of rank, you know, to live a duplicit life where you're saying one thing and doing another. Well, the enemy sees that God sees that. And you really diminish the authority and the power in your life. And you give the enemy a right to attack you, but also to attack others through you because God's message of love is lost through translation because you're not walking in the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. You're not walking in the fear of the Lord. You walk in the way that you want to walk. And I think that as things heat up in these days ahead, I, I think there'll be no middle road anymore. I think there's a wave of healing and revival coming. I think we're going to see a harvest like we've never seen before, but I think the darkness is going to rage more than it ever has before. Yes. And we're going to see people who've firmly rejected Christ dig their heels in and be more cruel than ever. And the Bible talks about in the latter days, the love of most will grow cold. Well, when love decreases, lawlessness increases. And when lawlessness increases, the chance to be offended is significant. So as believers, if anybody, we should be walking in the fear of God, in the fellowship of others and loving and calling out prophetically, you're going to get through this. You can and you will because Christ is in you versus picking people apart because we're petty and insecure. It's so powerful. And as you were saying that about fear, the fear of the Lord, you know, it's God's love that cast out fear. Yeah. So fear has to do with punishment. It has to do with, like you said, looking inward as from a negative standpoint, rather than submitting to God, first and foremost, fearing him rather than living in fear, living as a victim, worrying that someone else's success may diminish mine. Or as you said, feeling like I'm living in my not yet. So how can I rejoice or celebrate or be compassionate or empathetic for someone else? 
of course, that's a place we can also pray for more grace because God mm. can give us the grace to not only walk through our own journey, but to have grace for others. I loved your expression to call out courage because I, I think all of us are struggling in some way, especially after the last couple of years, so much loss, so much collective trauma that we've experienced, not only just within the body of Christ, but just really the entire world. So to, to be more empathetic in that, to call out courage in someone else and to say, God, help me to, to see what I need to be working on first and foremost, because we're not going to live in fear and fear of the Lord at the same time. No, impossible. So we have to choose which fear and you, you, you shared from the beginning of your life where the enemy sowed that lie, grabbed a hold of fear, grabbed a hold of, of a way that if we're not intentional about challenging those lies, replacing the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word, we'll live in those lies. And then behavior follows those beliefs. So, so much that you've shared there. And I just want to encourage us if we're listening and, and you're in your own, not yet you're in your own story of wondering where God is because Susie could have at any number of those places just felt like, you know, God, you must, maybe you're not as good as your word says, you are still walking this battle, still saying it wasn't a one and done, but this is a consistent place of dependency that you're having to live with the Lord. And really that God, that's what God calls us to is dependency on him. And rather than seeing everything as, as his somehow abandonment of us or assault on us to see it as a place that he's inviting us into deeper intimacy with him and to greater dependency on him, which is not a bad thing. Mm-mm. It's a good thing. It just yeah. isn't always a pleasant process, but if he's allowing it into our life and he's going to use it for our good and for his glory. Amen. And I know Amen. you've seen that over and over. And it's just sometimes reminding ourselves so that not only can we trust God for us, but we can call out the courage in others when we see people going through it. You know, one of the things I was struck by in the book is you talk about how maybe what worked in past battles is not necessarily going to work in today's battle. Um, so ex- explain what you mean by that, because we might think, well, like you said a minute ago, thank God I've gone around that mountain and I've learned what I needed to learn, but there's always new levels that the Lord is taking us to new things that we need to learn. And I can, my own, you know, okay, that worked or God moved. And we kind of tend to replicate it or just keep on moving ahead in our own strength. How can we be warned that we might be doing that and, and recognize that just because that won that battle. I need a different strategy. Help us to kind of understand that because I think even the most seasoned Christians can get tripped up in that. You know, I think we have this natural bent towards um, autopilot, you know, mm-hmm. what worked before is going to work now because we don't want to think too much about it. Give me the end, end game and I'm just going to do what I've done before. But what happens when we do that? I mean, how often as believers do we phone it in? If there's not a lot of opposition, you can be standing in worship, singing a song and going through the grocery list in your head, yeah. right? We can yeah. multitask and and then we don't realize we're going through the motions. But when you do that, you disengage your heart. And when you disengage your heart, you disengage your faith. And when you disengage your faith, you might be singing words, saying words, but nothing's happening in the spiritual realm because things change in the spiritual realm when our faith is engaged. So so I'm not saying that your past battles are discounted. I mean, like David, he said, Hey, I fought the lion. I fought the bear, you know, and I was thinking so interesting about David is he could have been a victim and said, I'm imagining him sitting at the bar at the breakfast bar, you know, somebody's lamenting, well, that ain't nothing. I have two traumas. Who can (laughs) say they've been attacked by 
a lion and a bear. Right. You know? But truly, he didn't live traumatized. He said, no, those have fueled me to face Goliath. So in, your yeah. battles have prepared you to stand for this in this day. But mm-hmm. when I say what may have worked in the past may not work now is because we've never been here before. That's true. We are in a time and a season of acceleration. And as that is the case and things are speeding up and the enemy knows his time is short, this will require deep and profound intimacy with God and engagement because there'll be, I don't know about you, Angela, with your health stuff, but there have been, it's been day by day. Like one day he'll say, rest the next day, run the next day, put your flag in the ground, say, I am not moving from this Mm -hmm. spot. And the strategy would change from day to day. Mm. And that's why I just think it's so important to get your marching orders from the Lord and be flexible enough to say, I I think if our goal is relief and our goal is ease, we're going to try to preempt the lesson and preempt the reason for the battle. But if it is to be conformed in the image of Christ to say, have your way in me, I want to come out of this thing where the enemy has less real estate in my life. I want to come out of this thing, leaning on the arm of my beloved. I want to know your word better coming out than I did going in. And when you can get a vision for what a healed you and a restored and strengthened you might look like, it'll help you persevere through battle, but also it helps you to stay dependent on him every step of the way. Mm, so powerful. So good. When you were talking about acceleration, I actually used that word as I was sharing with some uh, leaders last week at a retreat. And then I wrote in my notes after the fact, I wish the Lord had given it to me prior, but sometimes, you know, we get insights later that acceleration requires habitation. Mm. If we're going to, and you were basically just expounding on that, we have mm-hmm. to have that secret place with the Lord more is being asked of us as believers, as a body of Christ, the battle is intensifying. We feel that it's not going to get easier. I mean, the book of revelation mm-hmm. gives us a play by play of what this is going to look like. So it's, that's not, not saying we don't cry out for revival and we don't believe God for great things. But we also should anticipate and expect battles, mm-hmm. you know, and this idea of, oh, when I become a Christian, I'm not going to have battles and everything's going to be, you know, easy and life is going to be effortless. That's another lie of the enemy. Yeah. So then is. when, when life isn't effortless and there is a battle, then we could quickly turn our back mm-hmm. on God and say, well, I thought if I came to you, this, 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 and this was going to happen, I wasn't signing up for this. Well, I think the church was largely unprepared. I agree because of that, because a plus B is supposed to always equals, you know, C, but it just absolutely doesn't. And this is a paraphrase of a C.S. Lewis quote. I wish I would have memorized it, but from years ago, I read it. But in so many words, he said, if we expect all of our life to tie up in a tidy bow on this earth, we're going to live in a a perpetual state of disappointment. But if we expect expect battles because we're living behind enemy lines and we know God's going to be faithful, Mm. we're going to be living in perpetual state of surprise and joy because we'll find him faithful. And I think that's so good. It's really reframing your battles, reframing your perspective. Jesus promised life on earth is going to be hard. You're going to see troubles, you know, and the psalmist, but he delivered me from them all. Mm. And so we can expect to see God's kingdom come into our battles. He'll prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. But if we're whining and complaining all the time, because we're in a battle, we're going to be rendered useless in that battle. And we'll miss the lesson that God has for us. That's right. Two of the questions I learned to ask going through my own health journey, Susie was what do I need to learn from this? Which is kind of that introspective search me. Is there anything in me? And then how can you use this for your glory? Mm -hmm. Those are different questions. And why is this happening? Or Mm -hmm. What did I do? Which we can ask those things. We're human and the Lord is so gracious and merciful in our fragile state. But if we can reframe it, okay, God, what do I need to learn? What new, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, one of our team members at the, on staff at the church, their house burned down when we were actually on a missions trip to Africa. And, um, 
he preached this last Sunday and his wife was sitting a couple seats over from me and she leaned over and she said, we get the keys to the new house this Friday. And uh, she shared about how it's even more beautiful than it was before. And she said a couple of things. And she said, that's my gold. That's my gold. I'm pulling out. And that's a reframing of mm-hmm. how, what a horrific situation um, that God, where's the gold that I'm going to bring out of this. Beth Moore calls it the plunder from the pit. You're going to do yeah. something in my life. Yeah. I'm believing that you're doing something in my yeah. life that then, as you said, the pain becomes the platform, the message. We want God to work in our life but we don't always like the way in which he's working and to just yeah. trust him and his character. That's the big ask of, of life. And that's the big lie of the enemy that God is not trustworthy. So you to know, continue to amen. Trust him, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I have, no. a, I have a work call that I have to get on in a few minutes, but I want to say to you that I challenge your, your listeners uh, to look up Jeremiah 15 in the amplified classic version, because that is where it explains. Cause there, if first I read it in the NLT and I liked that first complaint, the lament, because he said he was lamenting about the wicked, then lamenting about his own suffering. And then he says, you know, I'm for you. I, I detest these wicked gatherings. And yet your help to me seems yes. as inconsistent as an unseasonable brook. Like, where are you? But if you jump to the amplified, then you, God is saying, if you extract the precious from the worthless. And then it breaks it down in the amplified classic. Like if you quit double guessing about my goodness, if you quit assuming, you know, that I might be bad, like, in other words, don't take my goodness. Don't make it up for grabs. If you can keep that center and then extract the precious from the worthless, you will be my spokesman. And -hmm. I think that goes back to you talking about women who, you know, derail each other and diminish each other. They're not extracting the precious from the worthless. They're nitpicking and looking for the worthless, but God is looking for spokesmen these days. And we should be able to look at the news, look at the culture, look at some of the messiness of our relationships and go, what's the redemptive quality. I want to extract it. I want to speak it. And I want to speak for you accurately, God. And I, I think that is the call for us today. Amen. So powerful. Well, I know you have to hop off and I just want to make sure everyone hears again. This is strong in battle. It's her newest book. Why the humble will prevail outstanding book. We're almost here at the end of the year. I would put it on your must read list right at the top of 2023. We're going to experience battles. So rather than feeling completely sabotaged, caught off guard, let's reframe as Susie is sharing to be surprised by God and the goodness of God that's going to sustain us in every battle and what he's going to teach us through the battle. So Susie, you're going to pray over us in just a second, but I always like to end with one last question. You're making your life matter in so many ways. And you're such a a, a deep, uh, deep studier and, and lover of the word of God. So other than Jesus, who is it in the Bible that most inspires you to continue make making life matter for the kingdom? Boy, there's, there's three that come to me, leave it up to me to not have one answer. <laughs> the woman with the issue of blood who spent so much money and yes. only got worse, spent so much money trying to get better yeah. and her tenacity to push through the crowd Amen. and grab a hold of Jesus. Him. I want to, I want to know what her life was like after Amen. Ruth, who felt like an outsider, but dared to follow a God she could not see, but she definitely knew and how God grafted her into the lineage of Christ. I just, I would love, she, she just inspires me so much. And even the, the story of her coming and staying in the boundary you know, Boaz said, stay in our field where you'll be safe. It was like, just to me, such a picture of God grafting us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son and outlining where you're going to be safe. Stay in the lines that I've established for you. Such a beautiful story. And then Joseph, because he survived so many injustices and kept rising to the top because of his trust in God uh, and his attitude 
trusting that God really did have a purpose for him. Super inspired by that as well. So there's so many, but those are probably three for me. So good. And I can see why they resonate in your life, the way you've just continued to be resilient, trust God. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the, the underlying real moral here is lesson is the lesson is we really have to learn to trust God. He is fully trustworthy. The more you know him, the more you'll trust him. So dig into the word of God as we launch this new year, pick up a copy of strong in battle, get a copy for a friend here at Christmas. It's a great gift. And I know Susie will bless you. If you've never heard her story, you can find out more in her other resources as well. But Susie, thank you so much mm-hmm. for just lending your voice here to the make life matter podcast. We're so personally grateful. I am. And, and I know so many have been deeply impacted by your life and ministry. So love to invite you to just to close our time and just pray over our listeners. Such an honor to be with you, Angela. And I just, I love your heart. Mm-hmm. Father, I just, I pray for that, that one watching or listening today. And I pray you'd heal her. God, I pray you'd redeem her. I pray you'd restore her, Jesus. I pray that you go to those places in her soul that even she didn't think uh, needed healing. And I pray you'd flood her with your goodness, Father. I just want to declare over her life that she will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that there are some promises that you were hanging on to years ago that you've let go of in these last couple of years with this great shaking. And the Lord wants you to bring those back to the forefront and to believe him once again, that God is well able to restore your soul while the nations are in chaos. And this isn't about hunkering down and biding our time till Jesus comes back. It really is about you fulfilling your purpose. So I pray father that you would help her have the the vision to dream again, to trust you, to step up and step out in the ways and places you're calling her to. And I ask you to move mountains, open doors and establish her in your highest and best purposes for her. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining the conversation. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe at cpnshows.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Connect with me at AngelaDenadio.com, Facebook at AngelaDenadioVOV, and Instagram at AngelaDenadio. Until next week, let's make life matter.